America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the delightful Jonathan Strickland. Well, howdy there, Ariel. I got myself a question for you. Ariel, here's your question, which, of course, (laughs) starts off with a scenario. Here (laughs) it is. You get a chance to sit down and have lunch with someone from the geek sphere that you really admire. This person has to be alive. Otherwise, the lunch will be really grim. Who? do you pick? Well, first of all, you cut my choices down immensely by saying they have to be alive, but whatever. Um, does Gary Oldman count? Absolutely. Gary Oldman counts because he was uh, Count Dracula. He counts. He he counts at least as high as Dracula and commissioner Gordon and the devil and a bunch of other things. And Rosencrantz. Mm-hmm. Or was he Guildenstern? I can never. He was make, Rosencrantz. Okay, Rosencrantz. All right. So was I. Anyhow, the reason why is because I, working at DragonCon, I've actually gotten to peripherally worked with a lot of celebrities, and that's kind of really cool. You know, not like sitting down and having lunch level, but just kind of getting to see how they operate, how they interact with other people, how they talk about their craft. Gary Oldman is one of those actors who one has played a ton of roles that I've loved. I had a huge crush on him in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And three, he just disappears into every role that he plays. Like, 
When I take my acting classes, so often I'm told that a director wants to see you in these imaginary circumstances because otherwise it looks acty, but he can just be someone completely different and it doesn't seem acty at all. And that's just amazing to me. And I just want to like be able to siphon off just a little bit of that ability into myself. Um, That's a fantastic answer. It's kind of like the opposite of someone like Jack Nicholson, who Mm -hmm. typically comes across as Jack Nicholson in whatever part he plays. Maybe like not not to the extent that he's every character he plays is exactly the same, but there are. Like you never see Jack Nicholson completely disappear in front of you, right? You're always Mm -hmm. thinking that's Jack Nicholson. Gary Oldman, as you say, can become characters to the point where you can watch two different Gary Oldman projects and potentially not realize it's the same actor playing two different, those, those different characters. I mean, and then my backup would be Tom Hiddleston and Kenneth Branagh together because they're both very large Shakespearean actors who do stuff on film. I'm told Tom Hiddleston's not that large. He's just. (laughs) At least when he plays Loki, his persona is very large. That's true. I have watched a lot of interviews with Hiddleston. And and honestly, that was almost my pick. I almost went with Tom Hiddleston because of the interviews I've watched and how charming and enthusiastic and uh, and involved he is with his craft, including his genuine love for the lore of Loki. So Mm -hmm. I almost picked him as mine, but that's not who I picked. Okay. Who did you pick then? A coworker of Tom Hiddleston's (laughs) Elizabeth Olsen. (laughs) Okay. Because so I picked her because I've watched interviews with Elizabeth Olsen where it's clear. She very much takes the craft of acting very seriously She Mm -hmm. rejoices in it. She also has a genuine appreciation for people who are nice and who are gracious, uh, which I find really appealing. But she also sees the absurdity that can come along with the acting profession. I saw one interview where while she was also expressing her love of acting, she was at the same time pointing out how ridiculous certain acting schools can be, particularly in the the hot ones interview. Yes. Oh, it was so good. Continue your fantastic interview, but no, no, she, she pointed out that each school has its own uh, prejudices against the other schools and that it all comes down to being very funny to her. And uh, it's just something that I find really appealing and interesting. And -hmm. the fact that she can inhabit worlds of crazy fantasy and not be completely detached. Like Gwyneth Paltrow to me comes across as someone who honestly couldn't care less if she were in MCU or not. That's not how I feel about Elizabeth Olsen, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, she's not, she hasn't hitched her wagon solely to that, right? She's also doing all these other things that she finds great Mm -hmm. personal joy in. So I just feel like that would be a great conversation. Uh, Side question. Where do you go to lunch? Where do I go to lunch? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say raclette in New York. Um, not knowing any of the dietary restrictions of the people I'm eating with uh, because it, well, one, I wanted to go there when I was supposed to go to New York last year and I will go there if it's still open when I go to New York, hopefully next year or the end of this year. Um, but it's a restaurant where they 
just melt massive amounts of cheese and pour it over your food. And that sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> and then I would get stretchy ice cream for dessert. <laughs> what about you? Uh, similar, but I'm going to make a restaurant that doesn't exist. It's a, uh, it's from a disaffected millennial and it's all about Mexican cheese and it's called K. So <laughs> I waited till Ariel drank before I bed th- did that joke. Uh, that was, that was brilliant side sidebar. Uh, if you haven't watched Elizabeth Olson's, uh, kitchen tour on first we feed, you should do that because talk about quirky and fun. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I'm really I, I fell down kind of a rabbit hole of watching interviews of various actors recently. And uh, and she just struck me as being particularly fascinating. But we have yeah. a fascinating show for you, or at least we think so. And it starts off with some news items. Yes, our first news item uh, and the I'll say that the title of this news article, when I found it kind of buried the lead, which is Dark Winds, a Western thriller series from George R.R. Martin and Robert Redford is heading to AMC. So that is all true. But George R.R. Martin and Robert Redford are executive producing this show. It's based on a book series called Lee Porman Chi by Tony Hillerman. And it follows two Navajo police officers as they investigate like murder cases and things like that. And it's, um, it deals a lot with the, the Navajo nation and, um, it, it, it's, it's very thrillery. Mm-hmm. And originally I picked this because I was kind of surprised that George R. R. Martin had anything going to anything other than HBO. I, I thought he had hitched his wagon to HBO, but two, uh, this show. So, Tony Hillerman is not Native American from everything that I know. I haven't actually read Lee Porn and Chi, but now I probably will actually go and read it because uh, it seems so interesting. I'm definitely going to watch the show. But he grew up in in Oklahoma, so he grew up with a lot of indigenous people. Um, and when they put this show together, which, you know, features uh, indigenous stars such as uh, Zahn McClarnon, who I love. Uh, he was in Westworld and Fargo uh, and... And Kiowa Gordon, um, who is in The Red Road, which I haven't watched, but he looks really familiar. So I think I've seen him in other things, and I think I like him too. It also was written, uh, the writer's room was entirely staffed by Native American writers. So I just, I love the chance to have a thriller that features a, a population of people that doesn't always get to be the star of the show and should. Um, with some of the actors that I absolutely love uh, and told accurately to uh, to explore, you know, some of the beliefs and culture of, of the people that it's it's presenting. So it's it's super exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, off off mic before we recorded, I, I mentioned that this is really cool because I come from an era where any depiction of Native Americans, one, was almost certainly not written, edited, or otherwise touched by a Native American during the writing process. Two, frequently wasn't even acted by someone who was Native American. I mean, there are famous examples where Italian actors were hired on to play Native American characters. And so there is a long-standing tradition in Hollywood of depicting Native American cultures from the white lens. And Mm -hmm. to say that it was inaccurate in most cases is being really generous. So I'm excited 
to be able to experience these stories told from a perspective that I I don't have any experience with, right? I don't Mm -hmm. come from that world. And to be able to get a glimpse into a cool thriller story that I know reflects the actual words and cultures of a people that I, I know very little about, which is a shame because I live in the the country that their peoples roamed. Uh, mm-hmm. That really excites me because it, it's, it's, that's one of the things I find the most exciting about this particular era of pop culture is that we're, we're starting to see these populations get to tell their stories their way mm-hmm. and they're fantastic stories. They really are. And it's, this one's exceptionally good. I know you said you were worried, uh, again, off mic, when I mentioned that George R. R. Martin was <laughs> involved in this because of his... Because of the way he's written certain types of characters in Game of Thrones, where, you know, it's set in a fantasy world, but there are clear sort of allegorical or, or simulacrum type similarities between mm-hmm. certain fantasy characters and certain real world peoples that didn't always come across as being particularly good. So I was worried at first because I did not understand that he was executive producing as opposed to writing. So that changes things. Yeah. It also, it it also makes it extra cool because the Navajo nation president, Jonathan Nez is super on board with it too. In fact, uh, so much so that they got permission to film on Navajo land. So uh, just super cool. I feel like this could, uh, and not in today's episode, because we've got some really cool discussion topics lined up, but this could really lead to an interesting discussion about uh, fantasy worlds inspired by real nations in the future. Agreed. And and again, like there, there's no shortage of those. And mm-hmm. often in the history of the fantasy genre, uh, because the fact that that genre, like many others uh, in the Western world, have been dominated by white authors, it often means that the depictions aren't always positive or even when they are quote unquote positive, they're not accurate. So they still do harm just in a different way. So like, again, I don't want to harp on it too much. Obviously I don't want to harsh anyone's buzz on, on the stuff that they love. I'm just really encouraged to, to see that change because honestly it does mean that I get to see stories I never would have seen otherwise. So that's really exciting. Um, something else that some people probably find exciting, but not me is that (laughs) a commercial that posed as a cartoon for kids from the eighties is getting a refresh. Uh, and just from that headline, I bet there's at least 20 titles you could come up with, but which one are we talking about? Uh, not he man, not thunder, the barbarian, not thunder cats, not Thundercats. We're talking about Silverhawks. Yeah. You don't know what Silverhawks is? Don't blame yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So think of Thundercats, but everyone's made out of metal and they are in space. Uh, and they, most of them have wings. And one of them's a guy named Bluegrass who also plays a space guitar and wears that cowboy hat. And one of them looks vaguely alienish. And one of them is a half mechanoid actual hawk, which probably wouldn't be able to fly in space using hawk dynamics. Um. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, the, there are a lot, there's a lot of Star Wars physics going on here. Also, uh, the, the theme song says that they're part metal, part real, which I take issue with because metal is real. <laughs> I 
listen to that. It's a catchy theme song, but yeah, I took I took a little bit of a pause at that lyric as well because it's. I did watch uh, Silverhawks a little bit, but not enough to super remember it. I just uh, like Rankin Bass, who is who is bringing this to fruition, said that Thunder God's Thundercats got its go, but people were really upset that Silverhawks didn't. I'm paraphrasing, but I I can't believe enough. <laughs> People actually miss Silverhawks, other than my husband who enjoyed it well enough, but uh, who's not mad at this. I mean, I can't be mad at it. Maybe it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about the new He-Man show, and that's similar. Yeah. No, I mean, like, (laughs) these came from an era where the cartoons were largely excuses to sell lines of toys to kids, (laughs) and uh, also from an era where you might get a perfunctory message at the end to make it quote unquote educational to fall under certain uh, governmental regulations and guidelines. But otherwise, again, was really just a 22 minute long commercial for a line of toys. Silverhawks is no different. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling very strongly about this. I don't have any nostalgia for Silverhawks. I'm sure I watched a little bit of it. There were only 65 episodes total when the first run happened. Rankin Bass, obviously, famous animation studio. I always think of them as the, the, the people behind uh, one Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer mm-hmm. and two the Hobbit. <laughs> Those are the <laughs> two that I always think about, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm not super excited about that, but I tell you what I am excited about. Yes. I'm excited about an upcoming Disney film that we're going to get in just a couple of months in Canto. Oh, me too. I think that this might be one of the like most um, exciting things to come out from Disney this week for me. Um, Which is saying something because Disney's coming out with like a billion things a week. Yes, yes, it's true. So this is set. It's a story set in rural Columbia and. uh, It's about a girl who lives with a magical family and she doesn't have any magic. Yeah, it actually reminds me. Did you ever read the book series, the Xanth book series? I didn't. I've heard of them, but I never read it. So so I'm not recommending you read them because (laughs) when you talk about stuff that has not aged well, the the, the Xanth series is way up there. However, in the early books, there is a character who seemingly has no magical talent in a world where everybody has a magical talent. And in fact... It is such an anomaly that he is exiled because there's there's a no tolerance policy for people who don't have a magical talent. Spoiler alert, it turns out he has the most powerful magical talent of them all. It's just one that is impossible to easily observe. And even he is unaware that he has it because it's it's a passive thing, not something he actively creates, which makes me wonder if we're going to see something similar in Encanto or if this is rather going to be one of those stories of how someone can be special uh, even should their talents not be as um, uh, as as uh, obvious as others. Uh, but the the animation, the color, the color of this movie, so vibrant. It looks so gorgeous. I want to see this yes. on the best screen possible because it just is beautiful. Yes, I agree. The main the main actress is is uh, voiced by Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and In the Heights, who is absolutely phenomenal. Um, both as an actress and a voice actress. Uh, and then the, the mute, like, so the music, like the entire thing is, it's almost like 
baby driver and how the entire trailer is percussed or, or stomp or something like that, where it's all percussed and, and orchestrated to specifically to the actions. So it's it's pretty much every everything I love into a tiny little animated package. Yeah. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is the guy behind the music. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's he's clearly the the current Disney darling, uh, having worked on on projects like Moana. And um, yeah, I, I thought that it looks great and I'm very eager to see it. Um, something else I'm eager to see is the upcoming Marvel series. What if? Yeah, I wasn't. And then they came out with a new trailer and now they've got me on board. <laughs> And yeah. not just because they show Howard the Duck briefly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, um, you know, I didn't even realize that Howard the Duck appears in Endgame. And then I saw him and I oh. thought, oh, there he is. I mean, um, it's it's so brief. You kind of have to have it pointed out. Yeah, he's, he's standing behind the wasp at the uh, mm-hmm. on your left moment. But uh, yeah, so so what if is a series of comics from Marvel that, you know, the title tells you it asks the question, what if? What if X happened, right? So I actually used to collect these comics. It was one of the few titles that I collected as a kid. And I remember having comics like, you know, what if Aunt May got Spider-Man's powers? Or Mm -hmm. what if Dr. Doom was a good guy? Those were like the kind of things. But it's clear that in this case, they're also tying it into that concept of the multiverse. So it's kind of touching on the other aspects of phase four of the MCU. Yeah, I wonder if they'll, well, I mean, they could really use Loki for this too. Well, uh, I, I don't know because the last episode, which neither Jonathan and I have, have, have watched at the point of recording this, uh, of Loki just came out. But they could use What If to write in a second season of WandaVision, potentially. Like, I don't, I don't know if they might tie it into the multiverse since the show, the, like the live action shows tie in. I don't know if this one is going to tie in as well. Yeah, no, it's like my guess is that this if it ties in, it'll be sort of tangential. It'll be like Mm. because of the multiverse, these things are possible, but not like to a point where anything in what if is canon and carries forward in any other Marvel product. You don't think we're going to get Killmonger as Black Panther? uh, No, um, I don't think we're going to get I don't think we're going to get Peggy Carter as Captain America, although I would love that. Um, That'd be fun. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, the the trailer. Also, the animation I kind of dug. I wasn't sold on it when I first saw teasers mm-hmm. for it, but it's definitely grown on me. It feels like they've they've rounded it out just a little bit, not literally figuratively. It's um, yeah. it's got a very comic style to it. Uh, we have one more story, which we're just going to hit on super quick because it's too cute um, before we go to break. And that is. Uh, there was a new trailer that came out for Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds movie about a an NPC in a video game who gains sentience. And it was a reaction video done by Deadpool and Korg from Thor Ragnarok. And I guess Love and Thunder as well. Yes. Um, so so we and also from uh, from um, uh, Endgame. Oh, Korg true. briefly appears in Endgame. So, yeah, it, this technically means that we get our first Deadpool MCU crossover. Uh, we don't know if this will be the extent of Deadpool entering into the MCU proper. Um, but yeah, technically we now have Deadpool and another MCU character coexisting in the same space, commenting on a different Ryan Reynolds movie trailer. 
Uh, and obviously there's a lot of meta commentary there, both mm-hmm. about free guy as a, as a thing and also about Marvel in general. Um, and it's also a, an opportunity for both Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi to make fun of themselves because they both appear in free guy as well. Yeah. I- And it actually makes me excited if they decide to pull Deadpool into the MCU proper because it shows how you can mash him up with someone who is delightfully sweet and still have it be entertaining and not too crass. Um, That being said, I'm a little bit mad at the very end of the trailer, which did at me a little bit when when. Uh, Deadpool asks how to get into the MCU and Korg says, believe in your dream, pursue your dream. Uh, give up happiness in order of your dream, then give up on your dream and be hopeless. And then maybe you'll get a call from Marvel. And I'm like, why you got to at me like that, Corey? Too real. It's too real. <laughs> too real. It was funny until it got too real at the end. Um, yeah, it's it's cute. It's I mean, it's again, it's just this playful thing. And I don't know that we'll ever really see Deadpool incorporated more into the MCU. I would love to see a Deadpool Spider-Man crossover simply because that's always been okay. a fun a fun um, thing in the comics, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's a complicated thing, right? Like can, can Marvel work in Deadpool into stories in a way that serves both Deadpool as a character? Well, and whatever story they're trying to tell within the MCU remains to be seen. Then again, all these series that have come out with Marvel, I, I wouldn't have anticipated any of them before they happened. And I wouldn't have thought that they would have worked so well, but as we will discuss when we come back, They've been working pretty darn well. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So we want to talk a little bit more about this whole Disney Plus phenomenon, but I think I think we wanted to start. Well, Jonathan and I watched Black Widow over the weekend, and we just wanted to, as non-spoilery as possible, chat about it. Yeah. So uh, my general response is that it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. There were some really fun action sequences. I liked yes. all the performances. I thought the performances were all very fun and strong. I, agree. I thought Pew, I thought Pew was fantastic as Yelena. She was yes. really entertaining. I thought David Harbour as the Red Guardian was very funny. Um, I thought Scarlett Johansson did an amazing job as Black Widow. Rachel uh, Weiss, how does she not age as that? Uh, yeah, the fact that she defies the passage of time is also interesting to me. Yeah, I, I found it entertaining. I did. I wasn't blown away. I didn't, 
I would not even put this like the other, the movie I would most compare it to in tone, I think is probably winter soldier, but I don't think it's nearly as good as winter soldier was. I also agree there. So a couple of my family members said, Oh, that was, that was fun, but I wish I had focused more on the story. And I will have to admit that. Well, one, the, as much as I was excited to see black widow get, a movie because I do like some fight choreography. Man, I love fight choreography if it's done well. And it was done well in this movie. The first fight uh, between Black Widow and Taskmaster, which isn't a spoiler because you know they're going to fight, was phenomenal. And I actually gasped out loud at a couple of moments. Um, But the story overall of Black Widow just isn't like super my jam, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. There was a lot more humor than I anticipated. I wish they focused on the story a little bit more. And I had, I heard one article say that, uh, or one review say that they felt like this movie would have done better in phase one because the stakes are too high now. Uh, I mean, I I guess, but well, there's also the fact that we already know what black widow's ultimate fate is. Right. So that ends up being a big issue too. If you already know what a character's ultimate fate's going to be, it's hard to have tension in a, in a, in a prequel movie. Cause you know, well, she has to make it out of this cause it ha- this other thing happens mm-hmm. later. Right. So, and there were other elements that I thought, you know, people have retroactively kind of retconned and, and it doesn't mean anything to me. Like, Oh, now we know where she got that vest she wore in that one movie. And I'm like, yeah, I can honestly say not once while I was watching Infinity War or Endgame was I thinking, huh, where did this character get that specific piece of clothing from? It never passed my mind. Yeah. So I was like, I don't care about the explanation so much. Oh, well, and there were some big plot points that I won't get into for anybody who hasn't watched it yet. Because, I mean, it was a fun watch. Um, it was a fun use of my two hours. I, I do not regret it. That, like, because they were explaining things that I previously had only heard about. It needed a lot of explanation to get me from point A to point B. And that kind of felt very slow compared to all of the action sequences. Well, and and on top of that, I feel like they were trying to have it both ways. They were trying to give you a little bit of information about her background, including why there's so much red in her ledger, which she referred mm-hmm. to consistently in phase one, right? Like that was mm-hmm. the coda from Black Widow was that she has red in her ledger and she's trying to atone. You kind of learn a little bit about that, but there's so many big gaps in that story where like, you know, she references Clint, a.k.a. Hawkeye. But spoiler alert, I mean, there's just there's very little information given about what actually happened and how things progressed. So you're you're still only kind of aware of what has happened, but you don't know how it happened the way it did. So it's not satisfying from that respect, right? It doesn't solve that mystery. You don't learn enough about her past. There are some big questions that remain unanswered. There's one huge question I have that goes from the penultimate scene to the final scene uh, before credits where I'm like, okay, wait, so some time has passed, but what (laughs) happened? what's happening right now in front of me literally makes no sense based on what I just saw happen. (laughs) Um, yeah. So there are some, there's some inconsistencies and some plot holes 
that you know I'm willing to overlook for the sake of a fun story. But I agree. I feel like there were there were just enough gaps there that I could not completely disconnect from that. And I found myself asking questions to which there are no answers. Uh, yeah. And that, that can be okay, but it felt frustrating. Yes, I agree. I feel like they did a disservice to the character in Scarlett Johansson by not making this movie earlier, not because of the stakes, but just because now they kind of had to shoehorn it in. Yeah. I am really excited for the, like the very end credits teaser scene that they gave at the very, very, very end. It ties into another Marvel property that we recently saw. Yes. So, like I said, all in all, I think it was good. Regardless of that, regardless of when this movie came out and maybe some of its shortfalls, it did really, really well opening weekend. It made like, what, $218 million? That's fantastic. Like I I had not been following up on that. Uh, And curious, Ariel, how did you see this? Did you go to the theater to see it? I rented it on Disney plus. Same, same. I mean, like there might, there might be something I go to the theater for um, upcoming, but this was not it. Instead, we, we had a, a small group of our vaccinated friends come and watch it with us. Yeah. I mean, like, to be fair, like we, we know someone who is vaccinated and yet still contracted, uh, COVID, mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago. And it just, it, again, it, 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 even though, and, and this person is okay, they are having a mild case of COVID. However, just that possibility means like both Ariel and I feel very strongly that we don't want to end up passing COVID on to someone who might not be vaccinated. Like whether that choice was uh, made because the person can't get vaccinated or because they just don't want to, like I I disagree with that particular choice, the the not wanting to thing, but I still don't want to kill anybody. So until then, (laughs) I'm limiting my interactions outside of my very small bubble. Same, same. I mean, I need to as well, just because I'm I'm a working actor and. I want to make sure that when I get booked, I am healthy for the people on set because they will check. Yeah. If you test positive, you don't get the gig. Yeah. And I, I don't want to do that. Um, be, I mean, beyond making, like keeping other people safe is my top priority. That's my my other, but that's my like professional priority. Um, but Disney Plus, man, they also ran away with the uh, Emmy nominations this year. No joke. So 20 20- Four nominations for The Mandalorian. WandaVision right behind with 23 nominations. And then you've got additional ones from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like Marvel and and Star Wars have come out as powerhouses in this year's Emmy nominations. The only show that got more nominations than WandaVision and Mandalorian in the Emmys was The Crown. Um which I haven't watched, but I've heard that it's good. Uh, it's just, you know, I spend most of my time in the geek geekiverse. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it's just a kind of geeky thing. Sure, yeah. There's like a, there's a historicity element yes. to it. Dr. Yeah, Cusa. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, and uh, honestly, The Crown got 24 nominations too. So it actually tied mm-hmm. with Mandalorian. Oh, wow. So, and when you look at that, you're like, all right, so that means there's like, there's like more than 50 nominations for Disney plus properties across the Emmys, uh, including, you know, 
uh, Best Actor uh, nominations for Elizabeth Olsen and for mm-hmm. Paul Bettany. And th- that's fantastic. Catherine Hahn got a nomination for her role as uh, as uh, Agatha slash Agnes. Yes. And, Limit- and like flat out just limited series, like best limited mm-hmm. series nom. It's 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 a real testament to the work that went into that series. I think it's well mm-hmm. deserved. I think I like while, while you can argue it's a comic book thing, it's a popcorn thing. It's not really, you know, weighty or heavy in my mind. The awards shouldn't just go to works that are attempting to be, you know, quote unquote serious. It needs to mm-hmm. go to nominations need to go out to really great examples of work. That work doesn't have to be heavy and weighty, although because I mean I've seen some quote unquote serious stuff that was just crappy, right? It was just poorly made, poorly mm-hmm. acted. Maybe the subject matter was very serious, but it doesn't mean the execution was great. And then I've seen some very whimsical stuff that is done incredibly well, and I think that you know there's room in the world for nominations to go to those sort of things. I agree. And I'm super excited because like when you look at the Oscars, exception of like Black Panther, most most sci-fi fantasy superhero geek things maybe get like a nod or two for visual editing or score. Right. So, and unless it's something like Lord of the Rings, where Return of the King gets a buttload of nominations, but you feel like that's partly because the Academy did not hand out nominations for the previous two chapters. And now it feels like, Oh, we need to do this now because this is undeniably a phenomenon. And even if return of the King is by all measures and metrics, objectively the worst of the Lord of the Rings movies, that may or may not be my own (laughs) opinion. Uh, We need to give them all the nominations fellowship deserved it more. Yeah, um, there's there's definitely some stuff like that hap- like that that happens with awards. Unfortunately, um, I so I know that it got nominated for best support or best limited series, mm-hmm. but I kind of hope they decide to come back with a season two of WandaVision. I have no idea what they're doing with with Phase Four, so I don't know if it could fit. But well, I can tell it, you, I, it's li- still the strongest show to me. I agree. Loki's a I think, close second. I think WandaVision, WandaVision is still my favorite of the MCU series so far um, with a bullet. Loki being mm-hmm. following up Falcon and Winter Soldier is not bad. It's just not no. not as high up as the other well, two. It, but Elizabeth Loki, Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen has essentially said there's not going to be a season two of WandaVision. She has. But I like I want to live in my own fantasy world and <laughs> hope that there is because I do like Loki and we're getting a second season of that. But. Uh, if you haven't read the news yet, because it's everywhere. If you haven't watched the episode, don't read the news. It'll spoil the last episode for you. But yeah, that it series, happened to be already. <laughs> yeah. But that series to me, like there are some episodes that are really, really fantastic that I absolutely love. Episode, I think three of Loki. There's just some camera work where they film an action scene and the camera is circling around the action scene and they make it look much more chaotic than it actually that was just so intriguing to me from a technical perspective and then um the fifth episode of the series was phenomenal yeah uh, yeah absolutely I, phenomenal yeah it's it's 
I'm sure Loki is going to end up getting some nominations for next year's Emmys, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of carrying this on. It's bad timing simply because the way that these are all coming out means that Loki is not going to be front of mind by the time the next year nominations come out, but still really fascinating stuff. But um, we need to wrap this up and we need to move on to our mashups, which we will talk about after this quick break. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Okay, Ariel, um, I don't know if you know this. You might not be aware of it. But there's a famous Disney character who has the same name that you have. Uh, is it Belle? It is not. It's Ariel. Um, yeah, we are we, uh, the Little Mermaid. So one of the two properties we're mashing up today is the Little Mermaid. And it's partly because one of the news items we almost covered is that the Little Mermaid production has wrapped and they shared a photo of the character uh, uh, kind of as a, as a that's a wrap thing, which is starting to become a thing on, on social media. We're seeing that with more and more productions where uh, a tantalizing image is shared as a, a production wraps. And so that was one of the two stories we wanted to, to allude to with our mashup. Uh, the little mermaid, of course, being, you know, and a very loose adaptation of the Hans Christian Andersen story. Um, the Disney version is one of my favorite films. Um, even though, uh, I acknowledge they took massive liberties with the original story, which is one of the things that, uh, Ariel finds somewhat, um, frustrating, irritating. Yeah. Yes. Darn tootin. I'm going full circle with that, that Western accent you did at the beginning. Yeah. No, that's yeah. frustrating to me. <laughs> yes. Well, that's one of our stories. So uh, the other one is because we got a a sort of teaser trailer for the second season of The Witcher. Yes, uh, which was a it was a good trailer. It felt much more interpersonal. There were no obvious monsters in the entire trailer, which I thought that was what The Witcher was all about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that was a little disappointing. Um, if you're not familiar with the Witcher, it's uh, a series of video games and books, um, and books. And, uh, the main character is a Witcher and he's kind of like looked on down by normal society, but he hunts, hunts monsters. And some people think he's monstrous himself and evil. And, um, then there was a, a TV. I have not played the games. I have not read the books, but I watched the TV series. And I can still only tell you vaguely about what happened. Well, yeah, so I can I can help out a little bit in that the in the mythology of the Witcher series, whether it's the books, the games or uh, the television series, the idea is that uh, uh, powerful magic users created the Witchers by 
mutating humans, many of whom do not survive the process. And uh, as a result, these humans gain uh, greater strength and speed and agility and a few other powers. Uh, but they also tend to lose a lot of their emotive abilities. They become much less emotional uh, and much less capable of forming emotional attachments with other people. And partly for that reason, and partly for the fact that they do exhibit these other abilities, normal folks can look upon witchers as being rather monstrous themselves. So that's kind of the, the grounding of what that is. And and the witcher series follows a specific witcher, um, Geralt, who is going on various adventures and, uh, the I think there's something like 14 books in the series. So summing up the, the storyline would be a fool's errand. But that that's the ground that we have to build upon with our mashup of uh, the Little Mermaid and the Witcher. So. Do you want me to go first? I have a very short one and I don't think it's particularly funny. So you want me to go first or would you like to go? Sure. First? You can go ahead and go first. Um, OK. Yes. So mine is mine is particularly short this time. But here we go. This is The Little Witcher. Siri, the Little Mermaid, has a problem. She wants to be where the people are. She wants to see them dancing. Walking around on those... What do you call them? Oh, bloody stumps. Plus, she's seen this total hottie up there on the surface named Galahad, and she totes wants his number. But she's stuck being a fishy little mermaid. However, she has heard rumor that there is someone who can help her. Ursula, the Sea Witcher. Ursula was once ruler of the realm, but the seas were plagued by monstrous, evil creatures that terrorized the underwater denizens. And so Ursula volunteered to undergo a dangerous, brutal process in which magic-wielding merfolk mutated her to become a monster-killing machine. A lot of alliteration for that one. <laughs> Many others underwent the same process, but few survived. Ursula was one of the survivors, but as a result, lost much of her humanity. Or, uh, mermanity, I guess. Oh, and uh, also her fishtail mutated into octopus legs, which is fitting because she belongs to the School of the Octopus. Ciri makes the perilous journey to Ursula's lair, where Ciri finds the sea witcher relaxing in a bath. Which, I mean, that's weird, right? I mean, they're already underwater, and yet here's Ursula bathing. In fact, it turns out Ursula bathes a lot. Like, this is a thing with Ursula, which is kind of, you know, <laughs> iconic, but also like just weird. Anyway, Siri explains to Ursula her predicament. Ursula strikes a bargain with Siri. Ursula will transform Siri into a human using ancient magics, but in return, Siri has to serve as the above ground agent for Ursula, who can't really get out of the water for very long and thus has limited success hunting down and killing land-based monsters. Siri, unable to see an alternative, agrees. And so, Ursula begins the ritual that will make Siri a new witcher, but not a sea witcher, a land witcher. And Siri endures intense pain and terror as she changes, transforming into a human, swimming to the surface to breathe, and landing on the shore. She has become Siri, the Sand Witcher. From that moment uh. forward, Ursula and Siri are in close contact. 
Ursula continues to battle leviathans and krakens under the sea, using a silver pitchfork to take care of the really nasty critters, and Ciri makes alliances on land, joining the kingdom of Arthur and falling in love with Galahad. In the background of all of this stuff are some complicated political maneuvers that we kind of hint at but don't really explore, you know, like between the current ruler of the seas, King Triton, and the people who are ruling on land. Triton doesn't trust the land walkers, but he also doesn't like to acknowledge the fact that Ursula exists because, you know, he's kind of responsible for that, and it's not fun to remember your past mistakes, so he does his best to bury it, but he's an old white dude, so he's really good at that. In the end, we get adventure, we get monster slaying, we get romance. Also, we get some songs. Oh, and I also meant to say at the very beginning, this whole thing is animated. But later on, we're going to get a musical stage adaptation. And later still, we can make a live action movie version. So, you know, cha-ching, the end. That was amazing, Jonathan. I don't know what you're talking about. I really enjoyed that. Am I mashup is vaguely like a what if version of yours okay <laughs> like there are some similar through lines um but it's not exactly and thank you for going first because i i got one of my facts wrong and i had to change it um <laughs> i misremembered that jaskier's name in the video games was either marigold or translated to but it's actually dandelion so i just needed mm-hmm. to make a quick retcon on my title which is now the little mermelion uh, it was before the the little mermigold, but it's actually the little mermelion. Okay, so Julian Ariel Pankratz, better known as Jaskier to some and to others as Dandelion, was a free spirit, the kind that was never content with his place in life, the the kind that annoyed the ones who loved him most. Though he had a golden voice, a magical loot sidekick, and a few regular local taverns, he longed for a life of adventure. So when he met Geralt of Rivia, I'm going to mispronounce all of these names, of course he wanted to be where the witchers are. The only problem is that Jaskier was a bard and Geralt was a monster killer. It was like Geralt barely acknowledged that Jaskier even existed. Jaskier tagged along everywhere that Geralt went, like a codependent flounder. He did so many things to try to gain Geralt's attention. He wrote witty and touching prose and songs about Geralt's adventures, such inspiring works of art like Shalala Kill the Ghoul and Drowners with Tridents. And he gathered small monster-killing gifts like dingle harvesters and snarf blasts. He even nearly got killed by a djinn to need rescuing, but nothing seemed to work. In fact, the only thing the Witcher seemed to care about were monsters and somebody named Siri. No, not you, phone. Shut up. Uh, So Jaskier, desperate and alone, decided to make a deal with Yennefer, a selfish sorceress, to make him unignorable by the Witcher. And she did just that. How, you ask? By turning Jaskier into a person. The Witcher, by trade, wouldn't be able to ignore this fantastical creature, which some might call a monster. And... Jaskier thought Geralt would be pleased, so he called out to him to get his attention. But that's when he found out. The sorceress took his golden voice. He reached for his magical loot sidekick, who, yes, is still there, but uh, we kind of forgot about. But the sorceress had disenchanted it into a regular loot. He tried to play this regular loot, but the sorceress took his musical ability. You see, Yennefer also wanted the witcher's non-existent attention. And she was also super annoyed by Jaskier, like, all the time. 
So much like that djinn that almost killed him once, she didn't grant his wish the way that Jaskier thought she would. So when Jaskier called out to Geralt and tried to play his lute, all Geralt heard was a cacophony and horrible, gurgling, monstrous sounds, and he started rushing towards the person to stop it, thinking it was a drowned. Jaskier, not liking the attention he was getting from the witcher, tried to do a funny Jaskier jig, but he had no legs, so he just ended up splashing Geralt furiously, which only made the witcher angrier. The witcher drew his silver sword and ran the person through the heart, shouting, Take that, la poisson! As Jaskier floated there in shock from being impaled, a single bard tear ran down his face and everything slowly turned to black. All of a sudden, Jaskier woke with a start. It had all been a bad dream, but it had seemed so real. He went to the tavern as usual to sing for his supper and was furiously booed and mocked as he tried to sing with his golden voice and magical lute. Maybe it wasn't a dream after all. No matter. From now on, Jaskier would be happy with his begrudging acquaintanceship with Geralt. The end. I loved it. I love the I love the puns in the song titles. Thank you. They the, they I mean, I'm sure people heard me laughing in the background, but <laughs> Drowners with Tritons was uh, a very, very long stretch from Daughters of Triton, but I had to pick something else that actually had lyrics. So, yeah, you know, it, did, it is it does get tricky. That's why I like in this case. I thought I would spare our listeners and not do a song for once, despite the fact that I referenced them. Um, but I was very tempted to try and, and write a version of poor, unfortunate souls because it is one of my favorite Disney songs of all time. But uh, I resisted the urge. You're yeah, welcome, I, listeners. I almost wrote a mermaid version of Toss a Coin to Your Witcher. But even though that song gets stuck in my head like no tomorrow, I can't actually hum the tune correctly ever. That's that's fair. Like, I, I, I remember hearing that at uh, a recent karaoke event, a little private karaoke event that we attended. And even while it was happening, I was like, what's this? from? Oh, now I get it, because <laughs> uh, I have not watched the show. I've only I've only played mm-hmm. the games a bit. But um, yeah, that was fun. If you guys have suggestions uh, for things we should mash up together, maybe there's a conversational topic you would like us to tackle or maybe you have your own mashup. There are various ways you can get in touch with us. The way for long form is email. The email address for the show is lnc at iheartmedia.com. But you can also reach out on the socials. Ariel, how do they do that? On Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are Large Nerdron Collider. We would really love to hear from you. So please reach out. If we like what you write, we might even read it on an episode. Uh, also, if you like us as much as we like you, make sure to tell your friends, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and make sure to like it and leave a review. Yeah, it really does help. And we really appreciate it. And until next time, I am Jonathan Allwet Strickland. And I am Ariel 100 Gold Ducats Caston. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. This show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.